host of this podcast, I'm singing about Disney and animation. And I love it so well that for all I can tell, I will never stop talking again. You have to admit, you know, this is like a very romantic movie. Oh, I... I honestly, like, that. one of my big takes is, like, Disney's done this three times, and every single time it is the most romantic GD movie you'll see that decade. Yeah. Um, and also, that song kind of, like, I love the original animated one, but that song uh, floors every single song in the original, just takes its lunch money, folds it like laundry, that, that whole makes it a bag of baked beans. scene, like, and, like, we're, we're going to get into this, to this, I swear, I'll repeat this later, but I mean, like... Right. I love the fact that like the party doesn't really start till Cinderella gets there. Oh yeah. It's just a it's just an elaborate <laughs> like, slapstick hey. bit. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone starts doing the real choreography. <laughs> like Right. Everyone's like, thank God, we worked on this for like a year and right. a half. If this didn't if we didn't get to use this and all of the dresses that are simultaneously blue and purple. Yes. Like I think you said they don't make them like this anymore. And I'm like, yeah, God, remember when TV had stuff like this? Like, right. this was what a TV movie looked like, where it's, like, a little cheesy and a rough around the edges, but you're like, God dang, but, they put some money into this. Right, like, for the for what the budget is, it's, like, it's hard to believe that this was intended for television. And, right, that like, this was not recorded a theatrical release. Yeah. Crazy. Right. See, that's, and, okay, you know what? I'm going to pause on that note just because we haven't introduced the Okay, episode. right, right. <gasps> we need some order. Welcome to the Disney desk, everyone. Carter here. And I'm Sydney. And week number two of Sydney's birthday month, a.k.a. Ooh. Girl Ooh. Boss Month, continues. Oh, happy birthday, Sydney. Yes. Happy birthday, cake. Hey. Happy, happy birthday, pin the tail on the seahorse. Happy, <laughs> happy birthday. Happy birthday, Sydney. Honestly, I wish that were, like, the actual birthday song. Right. I mean, there was a weird... Uh, it doesn't relate to this episode at all, but there's a weird amount of litigation about who owns the rights to the song Happy Birthday. I, I love the fact that, like, no one on TV can actually... Like, every now and again, someone on a, in TV or film can actually use the song. Right. But Isn't generally, weird? no, they, they're not allowed. Yeah. I'm like, I feel like that's, uh, like, look, the cop- copyright in public domain exists for a reason, but I feel like certain things that if they get to such a cultural level just need to right. be confiscated. They need to be nationalized. Right, right. Especially since, like, the the melody of that song, like, other languages use that same cadence and that same melody with just their mm-hmm. language. Like, it's a, it should be universal at this point, but it's Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, like, at this point. Right. Come on. Right, like, we nationalized the, like, railways and, like, major right. industries during war. Ha- aging is a war. A right. war against the soul. Right, exactly. Um, but uh, for the actual topic of this week, <laughs> we're, we're so fucking good at this, man. It's embarrassing to other podcasts. I we're, know. We're folding them like laundry, shoving them in a trash can. Um, right, yeah. Shoving them into a locker, which is something I did to someone once. <laughs> nice. It was in jest, I swear. Um, Isn't it always? This week we're talking about a movie that you kind of revealed to me is one of your favorites. We've known each other for almost a decade now, and we're still getting like, hey, this right. is my favorite mo- one of my favorite movies. And I'm like, what? It, Since when? I, I swear I've mentioned this before. <sighs> 
today, Disney Desk listeners, Carter and I will be talking about Cinderella, but not just any Cinderella. Well, this ain't your mom's Cinderella. This is not your mother's Cinderella, okay? Um, <laughs> uh, today we want to talk about um, the Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella of yes. the late 90s featuring Brandy, Whoopi Goldberg, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, Whitney Houston, Victor Garber, Jason Alexander, Bernadette Peters. I mean, like this is this could have easily been translated to Broadway with the same exact right. cast. <laughs> Which they did eventually. That is like and we're going to talk about a relationship with this um uh movie stri- uh TV movie, but it's so funny, like, how out of the loop I was on this, because I sincerely thought that this was one of Rodgers and Hammerstein's works from, like, their early days that right. got adapted to a TV movie or got adapted to a movie and then got revived on Broadway. No, no, no. The 2013 um, Tony-winning Broadway version was the very first time that it had ever been on a Broadway stage. Isn't that um, interesting that this was always designed for television in one way or another? Right? I mean, because I, like, went... Because once I discovered that, like... Once I discovered that the 2013 version was the original, like, staged version, or at least the original Broadway version, I went Mm -hmm. down a rabbit hole of researching this. And it's so funny that we lived... You know, we grew up in this era where it was such an innovative thing of, like... Considered such an innovation of, like, Grease live, or Annie live. When they quietly did it already. Right. In the 50s, yeah. Yeah, they already did it. That, That was one of theirs. Or unless we forget Rent Live uh, that was during the pandemic where they had to just do a table Mm. reading because one of the actors broke like an arm or something and they didn't have an understudy. Oh my gosh. And it's like, no, this has been a thing since the 50s, evidently. Right. But um, yes, so it is funny that um, the Walt Disney Company has three different versions of the Cinderella story. Not, do they own a Cinderella story? I think so. I'm pretty sure that's Disney. Like Hilary Duff? Yes. Slash that Selena one, Gomez slash That is a classic my Yes. Oh. Well we'll we will somehow crowbar that into this conversation. <laughs> I promise you. That is a threat, ladies and gentlemen. Um no, no, it was Warner Brothers, if you can believe that. Really? I yes. don't believe that. That's interesting. Huh. Hillary Duff, you town crossing son of a bitch. Yeah. Um but yes, no, that was a classic um Carter's got a sister and this is gonna be on Carter's got a sister. At that point, this that needs to be a segment on the show. Carter's got a sister. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it is interesting that the Walt Disney Company has three of this kind of seminal fairy tale that kind of is the fairy tale. Yeah, the the quintessential fairy tale story that, like, potentially all other fairy tales are sort of modeled around. Or at the very least is like the ta- like the sort of go-to. So you want to adapt a fairy tale. Exactly, right, yeah. Like how many Sleeping Beauties are there actually? How many Snow Whites are Not there really actually? really very many. Almost none of that, yeah. And yet in Cinderella, it's shocking if we go three to four years without some kind of, this ain't your grandma's Cinderella. Right, exactly. So we were going to use the Rodgers and Hammerstein adaptation one, as a way to celebrate Sydney's birthday, but mm-hmm. also as a way to kind of like dive into Disney's legacy with the character and kind of our, the legacy of the character as a whole. Right, exactly, yeah. But before we begin, it is time for another Internet Minute. 
Yeah, so do you have anything for this week, Sid? Um, I don't think so. All right, I got, like, I got one. It's not the best, but, like, it's, it's, it's all right. At some point, we should do, we should do a ride in the dark as I go to the movies for one of these weeks just to fill in. Oh, sorry, the emergency telegram is going off. See, I told you this was a good investment. What better way to get Disney news than a modeled-aged thing? on earth is sending a telegraph right now? Well, at this hour. Right, let me find it. All right, let me translate it. I'm not the best at translating it. Uh-huh. Breaking. Oh, my God. What? Sound the alarm. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have gotten groundbreaking Disney news today. So... Recently, there was a first quarter earnings meeting with the Walt Disney Company where, you know, they were going to talk about what's coming up for the calendar year, sort of how things are going, and where their revenue is. And during that, they dropped a bombshell. There will be a Disney animated film coming to theaters this November, and it is not Frozen 3. It's not Zootopia 2. It is Moana 2. Is there a secondary title? Like, is, is there, like, a Moana 2, Moana's Adventure? My literal first thought is, can we please stop doing the video game console titles? Right. It undermines the artistry. <laughs> right, right. Like, you know, Rescuers Down Under didn't make that much money, but, like, I feel like it gets more credit than it deserves because it was right. the Rescuers Down Under. Exactly. Like, I'm very grateful Marvel gave up on the number of titles outside of the Guardians movies pretty quickly. Yeah. But even the Guardians movies feel like they're not talking about a sequel. Like, it's volume one and right. two. It feels yeah. like a mixtape. It's a flavored thing. You know, it's a flavoring. They, exactly. they figured out a way to give it more personality and charm. But, yes, this is a, uh, this is a uh, broadside of a canon uh, blindside. Truly. Hit. There was no word about this. The only clue that I got from anything was someone mentioned, like an inside scoopster mentioned that was like, hey, so there's, for the Super Bowl trailers, there's one trailer that's going to drop that literally no one has guessed yet, that I don't think anyone knows is coming out yet. Um, so who would have guessed? But basically, Jeez. it yeah, it's been explained that, so if you remember back in like ugh, 2019-ish, 2020, when they did their first like Disney Plus celebration thing, Mm-hmm. They talked about a bunch of different originals that were coming. And two of them were the Princess and the Frog series and a Moana series. And evidently, they decided that they want this series to be... Decided the series should be reimagined as a feature film. So now that will be Disney's um, sort of yearly... Because, you know, they like to try and have a yearly animated film. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah, so this is taking that slot because wow. a lot of it, I'm going to be honest, a lot of us like who are really annoying and nerdy about this kind of just assume they weren't going to have one this year mm. because no, the combination yeah. of we hadn't seen anything from, the only ones they've announced that they're working on are Zootopia 2 and Frozen 3, and we've seen literally nothing from either of those. So I kind of, and on top of the fact that like, you know, all of the discourse around like Disney needs to change, Disney needs to innovate and change the game. I figured they just read the room and were like, Right. No. <laughs> not well, you know what's look. what's interesting. It's like it's not only were we not expecting a feature this year, I was not expecting a Moana feature. Like, and and it's because of those other projects that 
that I feel like have been taking over the conversation over the last two years, like the um, this proposed series that seemingly uh, got discarded, and uh, in the live action thing. Right. Um, no word yet if the live action thing is still happening now. But uh, now it uh, seems like why bother? Right. It's redundant because. Right. A lot of people were like, why are you doing a live-action remake so soon? And it's like, well, one, The Rock kind of needs a win. And also, like, because, as they talked about, the number one streamed film of last year was Moana. Like, Moana... Like, Moana and Kanto are kind of sister movies in terms of, like... It Mm -hmm. feels like they kind of got underrated when they first came out, and then the minute they were available, like, to own or stream... People are like, oh, so this is just like a masterpiece, right? Like, this is just the best thing Disney's ever done. Right. And, yeah, I like, I think this is a confluence of a lot of different things. I think a lot of it is like, all right, so the Emperor, like, we finally have to acknowledge the Emperor's penis is out in regards to streaming. That streaming (laughs) makes no money, that it's not worth it to make all of these original pieces of content for it, really. Mm -hmm. And, like, the way you translate streaming to box office success is to like, see what people like on streaming and then make movies. Right. Um, I think it's a confluence of, like, yeah, I think those other films aren't really that far into production, whereas, or close to being ready, whereas they've been working on this basically since 26, or, like, 2018. So, like, surely they had enough to work with that they could, like, you know, Wish started, they started working on Wish in 2018. So I have to assume they had a lot more to work with and it's not going to be as much of a scramble to get this done. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. And yeah, I guess that's like, there's there's a lot of questions with this. Like, they could have just said, hey, we're making Moana too. And everyone would have been like, well, all right then. But the fact <laughs> that they are openly acknowledging that this is effectively taking whatever they were working on for the series and making it into a film, it raises a lot of questions of like, okay, how is this going to be plot-wise? Like, is it going to mm-hmm. feel all jointed? Are you right. doing this for the money? Or because you really think this is a movie levels idea? And right. like... You had the B team working on this. You had, like, Toon Vision or whatever. Like, you mm-hmm. had, like, the guys who don't make the series or the movies working on this. Did you... Did, did you bump them... Yeah. Are you gonna... Bu- did you bump this up to Walt Disney Animation Studios? Like, right. is it going to be, like, you know, the level of quality we expected? Um, then, of course, there's the question of, like, who's coming back? Um, our two leads are back. Lin-Manuel Miranda is not back. They have announced that, um, oh, wait, they actually haven't announced that uh, The Rock is coming back, but I, I have to assume, right? But he's in the trailer. Well, his character's in the trailer, but he might not voice the character. It sounds, it's pretty uncanny if, if that's right? not him. I feel like they wouldn't use his audio if he wasn't coming back, right? Yeah, that sounds exactly like him. Um, and yes, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda isn't coming back, Um it's directed by Dave Derrick Jr., who's been a storyboard artist and, like, a story lead for the last couple films. Uh, I believe he was head of story on Strange World. Um, mm-hmm. Lin-Manuel Miranda's not coming back, and so instead they're going with Abigail Barlow and Emily Bear. So um, they sort of rose to fame during the pandemic because they did a... They started this series of TikToks of what if Bridgerton was a musical? Okay. And then they made Bridgerton... Bridgerton? I, I'm not that Bridgerton. familiar with it. Bridgerton. I just know it's corsets and everyone's hot and that's kind of the vibe. And they have um, sex a lot, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. They're like, they're simultaneously very horny but it. very chaste. Yeah. yeah. Me neither. Um, 
But yes, anywho, um, so they did like a full like album's worth of songs for an uh, quote unquote unofficial Bridgerton musical, mm-hmm. um, which ended up winning them a Grammy, but then also gave them oh. a cease and desist because um, oh, oh. apparently Netflix had not given them the blessing that they seemed huh. to be working under. But yes, okay. it's actually kind of crazy that they won a Grammy for what was effectively a meme uh, turned into uh, a full yeah, project. Yeah, fan, a fan project. Yeah. This announcement motivated me to listen to a little bit of it. And I will say, I really do like their work. And this very does, it, it, like, it very much feels like a sort of, it, it feels like what Disney does of like, hey, uh, you know, Lynn, you worked on In the Heights. We're bringing you into the, the House of You want to rap? Yeah. Yeah. You got some rap ideas, kid. And he's like, that's very reductionist. I'm, you know, a classically okay. trained musician, but all right. Um, right. You know, the, you know, the Lopez's. Hey, you guys made that Books of Mormons. You want right. to you wanna, you wanna talk about snowmen? And they're like, what the fuck? What are you even talking about? Yeah, so like, I feel like for... I, it's very fascinating seeing the mixed reactions because like people have kind of turned on Lynn, but now they're like, why the fuck are you bringing yep. Lynn back? See, that's... There's... It's okay. why I kind of I love talking about Disney, but I also hate talking about Disney. Right? Because I'm like, what do you what do you there, want? There's just some public quote unquote backlash that, like, you can clock as bullshit from the jump, and like, right. Any of the criticisms of Lin Manuel Miranda are like he's at worst earnest. I don't know. Right. <laughs> like, like yes, none of it holds of water. And I'm yeah, sorry that, that's... like, post-Obama-era woke you up to, like, how kind of annoying boomers are. But, right. like, I don't that's, know what to tell you. He's still a good artist. the worst of it. Like, I don't... Yeah. That's it. <laughs> right? If that's, like, the worst you could say about someone, it's like, all right, okay. well, they have a slightly idealized view of America. Sue me. Uh, yeah. Okay, great. Um, you know, I also think it's interesting that... I'm not interesting. I mean, I'm glad to, to hear that Ali Cravalho is going to be a part of this. Considering mm-hmm. that she backed out of this this live action project, right? Which I think I'm curious about that. I, she talked about like we should probably get someone who more accurately represents like who a Moana would be in terms of which like, I didn't quite understand. But I guess you know you know who talked about this recently is Tua Tagovailoa of all people on earth. <laughs> Talk it like did really? a weird yeah like I recently came across a clip of somebody being like, "Are you Hawaiian?" And he's like. No, I just live in Hawaii. <laughs> I'm <Right>. not Hawaiian. <laughs> and then he had to right. explain is, to a bunch of white reporters like that Hawaiian is it like an ethnic group, but also a state, so you can be like a resident of Hawaii, but not ethnically Hawaiian. Right. It is. I mean, good lord, that is so interesting. Also, just because like, I'm also just learning more and more about like our relationship with Hawaii in the sense of like, well, now they're actively voting to keep like mainlanders and Americans from owning land in Hawaii, you have to be native Hawaiian to own land. And I'm like, Man, they really don't want us. They like don't don't want us there. Holy mm, moly. No. Um I knew it was bad, but I didn't realize how bad it was. Um, right. Yeah, I get like it, it is interesting, but also she's she's like she's like twenty one now, right? She's over twenty one. Like she's like, oh, over the character too. I have to assume That's they wanted true. someone who's actually Moana's age. Right. Um I mean, I don't know. I it because there's no sign that she hasn't been a good sport about coming back for voice acting. Yeah. Um, she, because she did the little Lego thing. She did Wreck-It Ralph 2. Mm-hmm. Like, anytime Moana's got to be in a thing, she usually shows She's up. She's gung-ho, yeah. Right. Um, I also just think it's very funny how I found out this announcement. Um, 
I had to, we both were having a day that day. I had to go to the eye doctor to figure out if I had like violently popped a blood vessel and needed someone to fix something. Uh, Did not really think about like how, I I haven't had my eyes dilated in years, so I didn't think about like light sensitivity. Nobody thinks about it. No one plans well for it. And the little sunglasses they gave me weren't working. So I had to walk 20 (laughs) minutes across Philadelphia to get to the train station as the light is reflecting off of windows. Truly, it's like like a biblical character who like mocks God. Jesus shows up and goes, you're blind now. You're blind. (laughs) (laughs) Bippity boppity, you're fucking blind now. I'm out. And then he like kick flips. Right. Um, Yeah. I, I I went to a hip Bible school. Um, right. And yeah, so then I'm just sitting on a train trying to see my phone and I just see more than two announcement. I'm like, what the fuck? And I text Sydney and she's like, I'm in the middle of a crisis right now. Yeah, I get like, I, like it's not uncommon for me to get like notifications from you and be like, well, I'll look at that when I have time. But then I just saw my name in all caps in your messages. Sydney, and like, Sydney, Sydney, Sydney. Sydney. <laughs> open social media right now. It doesn't matter what, just open something. And yeah. I was like, open okay, some okay. Disney social media profile. And sure enough, like I had, like I, I opened Instagram. I, I just clicked on the app, and the first thing to come to the top was this. Like I, as soon as I saw this this ocean landscape, I knew exactly what I was looking at. I was right. like, "You're fucking kidding me!" And I was also having a day. I work at a restaurant, and one of my employees um, almost severed his finger off. So I was in the middle of dealing with that. And yes, I did stop what I was doing to look at this thing. So you know, whatever. I was like, Hold up. Yeah, I I feel bad. Like I was being a dick because I know if you don't respond for that long, I know something and like actually something. has happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, no, this takes president Sydney. <laughs> right. Honestly, and I'm glad I I needed to be pulled away from what I was dealing with. Right. I was like the kid that like I was like the kid who runs in in the middle of like a classroom and goes, Willy Wonka's opening up his factory. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) And just has time to explain this entire thing. But like, I'm still kind of like, I don't know how to process this. This was so like out of my range of I think I made a joke before the conference happened where I was like, ah, they'll probably just announce the Disney 101 and like release more classic films to fill the schedule. And Mm. then this drops like a pipe bomb. And right. everyone's got opinions. Right, exactly. Like, they've just been waiting. Right. And, like, I honestly don't know how to feel. Because, like, again, pivoting a project deep into production and kind of, like, scrambling to get it done is not abnormal for the Disney company. In fact, it's how, like, at least 60 to 70% of their absolute bangers come out. Right. Um, People pointed out this is very similar to the Toy Story 2 story of, like, the head of B-team working on it, and then Pixar goes, mm. we can make a better version of this in a calendar year. And all of them almost died. Um, <laughs> they, like, almost all of them lost their grasp on reality. Um, and I guess it's just interesting, too, because it's like, I don't know. Again, I'm someone who champions Wish more than most, but, like, I was like, all right, new art style, we're trying new stuff. And it's interesting to think about, like, oh, yeah, it's probably going to look like Moana 1, so we're going back. Right. But then again, we would have been doing that anyway, because it's Zootopia 2 and Frozen 2. And also, yeah. I'm like, can we, or fr- 3, and I'm, again, can we please just name the I movies? Did, I did see the Zootopia. I didn't see the Frozen, but I did, like, go back on later and see the Zootopia thing, and I was like, no, thank you. Yeah. That's enough. See, that series, that series... Well, let's see, that series saw the light of day. The problem is all of the episodes were connected to Zootopia 1 in some way. Right. <laughs> um, 
Also, Disney uh, apparently has a billion dollar stake in Fortnite. I don't have as many thoughts Why? about this. Um, to make some kind of, they haven't, they just had like a little trailer where they show all these little hub worlds. Like, you know how the current graphics for Fortnite, we both play Fortnite. The current mm-hmm. graphic has like the Lego world and the music world and the car world and the actual game with the waves and stuff. It's that, but all Disney stuff. Okay. And I guess, see, there was an event in Fortnite where you could sit on like a cool little custom made environment and watch episodes of um, Dragon Ball Z. And then there was a time they did a movie night where you could watch um, Inception. And oh. if it's stuff like that, I'm all in. Cause I'm like, that's yeah. where the actual, that's where like the metaverse stuff actually works for me when it's like, hey, let's just do stuff we would have been doing anyway, but as cartoon characters. Yeah, you know, like, the games that happen in, like, Five Nights at Freddy's or, like, mm-hmm. McDonald's versus Burger King <laughs> versus McDonald's KFC. Mcdonald's versus Burger King. Yeah, the or custom modes where they're like, this is our future. And then a week it was later, like all like, cats. this is making zero money. Oh, yeah. Remember that thing world. where it was, like, all cats? Like, I, I would just want to, like, derp around in a little in a little land. Right. Like, basically it was do Toontown. Disney Infinity, but with more production value. Yeah, or Toontown. Yeah. Um, yeah, so any final thoughts about this? I guess, like, again, I just want to see more. Uh, I'm it sounds like we, yeah, I'm just like, out of all the Disney princess things from the modern era, from Tiana to um, Asha, this is the one where I'm like, this actually deserves a seat. Like, this world is actually built to co- accommodate more stuff. Like, you're not right. stretching to think of more stuff post happily ever after. Um, right. I'll give them a chance. Yeah, definitely. And now back to your regular scheduled programming. All right, folks. Let's talk about Cinderella. Cindy. Uh, Cindy, our girl Cindy. I like giving the princesses little, like, nicknames. I don't know why. Right. As if you, like, Um, know them. Right. Well, we do know them. Yeah, we... Disney's a part of our family. if, If there's anyone to have a parasocial relationship with, why not? Have right. be a Disney princess? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you can trust them. Their right, whole exactly. Being good friends. Right, exactly. Um, you know, weirdly enough, for whatever reason, in the past like couple months, maybe six months, I've had like a newfound. I don't know what to call it, like a newfound attraction towards Cinderella that like I've really never had before. Like, growing up, Cinderella was not a movie that I, like, watched very frequently. Hmm. Um, I don't, I think, I think I was, it wasn't until middle school, even, that I actually watched it, like, from beginning to end. Oddly enough, like, you know the princess movie that I watched a lot growing up was Snow White? And I think I've talked to you about that, that, like, they used to have, like, that and Sleeping Beauty, but, like, um they used to like re-release these films on DVD and it would be like, Oh, uh, this is snow white diamond edition. And they would Mm -hmm. re-release it as if it's like a sort of a special thing, but it would be totally arbitrary, but you know, the DVD packaging would look pretty and and cool. And there'd be some stuff on the DVD itself, like some bonus features or I don't know. Um, they'll keep re-releasing them until they run out of cool ideas for the posters on the front. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, but, but recently, and, you know, I, I guess I attribute this to just, like, my, like, maybe I just have 
like since the Barbie movie, I just have a newfound like affinity for blonde ladies. <laughs> being that I am a blonde lady. Now, honestly, I really have no better answer than that of just like, I don't know. Oh, here's a blondie. Like, why don't I look at this again? <laughs> it's so funny you walked me into Barbie because like my first point was like, I've always had an affinity for Cinderella. One, because Walt routinely references one, the dress transformation as his like favorite sequence of animation from his career mm-hmm. in terms of like the things he greenlit. And two, he always, like, says he related to Cinderella the most. So I always thought that was interesting and tried to, like, unpack that. Well, it's it's interesting that you mention that, too, because there's there's kind of an element that to that here, too, to, like, I didn't, like, I, I don't think I put together that, like, I've always been drawn to Cinderella, just not, like, the animated version. I've like my my attachment has always been to the Brandy version, which is what I've always called it, the Brandy Whitney right. Houston version. But and we'll and we'll I'll circle back to that later. But like, I was just having a conversation with somebody, like one of my coworkers. I don't know if I've ever said this to you, but like, you know, she was like, "Oh, um, you know, like what's interesting to think about, like when I always ask people, like, what was your favorite childhood movie? Because like." on some level, like, whatever movie that you wanted to watch over and over and over again as a child is, like, indicative of your sort of, like, more emotional subconscious state as a child. Like, it's kind of indicative of, like, what was going on in your life, probably, or, like, where you were mentally as a kid. Um, And every person I've talked to about that, including myself, it's been, like, actually really spot on. And, like, I... I think, like, that's kind of always been my my attraction to princesses in general because, like, you know, for I don't know how much of myself I've really talked about on this show, but um, when I was 10 years old, my dad passed away, and I was pretty much raised by a single mother my entire life. Um, and I'm, like, drawn to these stories of, like, these girls with, like, one parent or, like, it's usually the father that's gone and uh you know this girl is feeling like um you know kind of abused kind of like worn down this this girl is probably grieving and lonely but like sort of has hope for for something good that could happen to her um but is just like someone who's like in a lot of pain and then like someone shows up and just kind of like plucks you out of there right and so it's like growing up i i was always drawn to these princess stories i even stories like princess diaries i was always watching that of like someone just like out of the blue one day just coming to like deliver fantastical news to you oh guess what you're a princess like um and and stories like cinderella like resonated with me so much that I was like I was always drawn to these like princess stories even like Tiana and I mean like most princess stories follow this formula of for whatever reason they've got to have like a deceased parent (laughs) and I never made that connection between you and Disney in that sense yeah I've kind of always uh I guess like seen myself as the these princesses before their life is changed by magic and I guess a part of me always thought that like 
and I, I was recently talking to this about someone like I guess I'm someone who's always needed to like um to believe in magic I mean, it, it truly is, like, it's the core of why fairy tales appeal. Well, one, fairy tales appeal because they're, like, broad morality tales that you can kind of graft onto any generation. But also, like, mm-hmm. just the aspirational aspect of, like, all of these princesses are either commoners, either start as commoners, or are, like, reduced to commoners, or are hidden away in some way. And through magical means, they are, like, someone looks them dead in the eyes and tells them, you are special. And you yeah. just need a little bit of help to realize that. And I think the reason why Cinderella appeals so much is because it is the ome- like it's the ultimate version. It is the omega right. level version of it. It is the most extreme of like this girl who has lost everything, not giving up, putting the work in, and with a little bit of wishing, she gets to live the most fantastical night of her life and right. gets to live as a princess for um, nothing. Like there's this like she's just inherently worthy. Right. Like, she doesn't even have to go on a journey. Someone shows up and is like, are you ready to go, bitch? <laughs> right. It is like, someone talked about Cinderella's story, like, in terms of, like, storytelling structure. It is kind of like the most distilled, perfect, simple version of just, like, your character starts at this point And, like, you know, they get hope. They have a drive. They suddenly have a want. They want to go to the ball. They want to have this thing. They get mm-hmm. brought down low to a lowest point. And then when it all seems lost, someone shows up and shows them the light and they have the most magical time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, because of that experience, they're permanently changed. Even though they've gotten the thing they want, they can't just go back to how it was before because they are fundamentally a different person. And that's how you get her coming down and saying, no, I am the princess. I am what you want. And getting that happily ever after. And that is why this story just is inherently like, this is just the easiest story to tell and retell and tell again and tell a fifth time. And this time right. Mia Cabello's in it and it's a jukebox musical. No. Um, I didn't many, know it was a jukebox many. musical. Yeah, I'm like, everyone, I love that's the one where everyone's like, nope, turn off stop the Cinderella it. engine. We have to stop. <laughs> stop the Cinderella presses. And someone just punches, <laughs> like a button in a machine printing different cells just stops. Or like right. scripts just... Um, I did not know that was a jukebox musical, and when I watched a clip, I think I described, I sent you a gif of a dog looking flabbergasted, because yeah. I was in fact flabbergasted. Yeah. And that almost won an Oscar. The people's We Oscar. don't need to talk about that movie. <laughs> right. But, yeah, do you, what is your relationship in terms of, like, how did you find uh, Roger and Hammerstein's Cinderella? Well, I, I don't know. It's it's just always been one of the VHSs on the shelf. And it was just, you know, when we did the Good Burger, I, I think I said to you, this is my Good Burger if, of, like, <laughs> your movie. thing to say. Your, like, your movie that was just, like, always on. And I don't know if that means that, like, you necessarily wanted it. I, I assume you wanted it to be on, right? Like, you yes. liked it when it was on, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I love your, like, our, your favorite film as a kid is something subconscious. And I'm like, what the hell does that say about me? You need, <laughs> you need to get away. You need to lock me up. I need to be, like, the person who knows he's a werewolf, like, bending down the hatch. Of the I need to make sure that there is no way I get out of this building and the blood doesn't right. start spilling again. Um... This was just one of those films, because I don't even know the years. Is this 97? Mm-hmm. Okay. 1997. You know, when you're... Great year. Well, like, there's a lot of pop culture to 
to like be introduced here. This is just always a movie that was in our house and always mm-hmm. something. I remember this being like a strong point of like bonding between my mom and I of like mm-hmm. a movie. Well, like my mom and I were like always watching movies together when I was young, but like, um, like singing these songs and, uh, watching this on TV over and over and over again. Like even rewatching this for this, I was that annoying person, like quoting the entire thing, like all of the memorable lines, every single line, like I, I know of this movie and it just like floods all, you know, floods back into my brain. Um, but when you're like, you know, grown up black, like your family puts black stuff in front of you. Right. You know, because like they buy you the black era, dolls. It's not like, yeah, especially that era, it's like there's not as many options. Right. It, yeah. Like they, they, if there's a black doll, they're buying that for you. If there's mm. like, if something comes out with like a black girl in it, we're watching it. We're, we're going to see it. We're watching it. This is the movie that we have in the house. Like it's, have, yeah. Um, I have to assume that's how the, and why the movie was even purchased in our home. I don't have any other explanation for it. Um, but I, it's just a mainstay that was always there. You know what's so sad? What? My version of that being Polish is getting a Paul Pazlesny jersey, a former Penn State and Buffalo Bill linebacker. He was here for like four years and then you got know, traded to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Okay, great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, it's, it's much that's, less that's the dazzling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so. Right, right. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm um, sorry. There's not more Polish representation for you, Garner. <laughs> we'll get them next time. Um, but I have always been in love with this. Uh, you know, I, I remember saying when we talk about High School Musical, like, I kind of have credited that as being, like, the beginning of, like, my interest in, like, this idea of, like, show business. I think mm-hmm. that it actually starts with this movie. I think this movie was, like, weirdly enough, I I, I feel like this movie was the first time I was aware of people, like, doing a job in a, in a right. way that's sort of more, like, aspirational. Because, first of all, it's, it was... I, it, it may have been my first instance of recognizing people from other things. Oh, that's interesting. Like Jason I mean, Alexander. Who cast, yeah. Right. And I'm like, it's the guy from Seinfeld. It's, you know what, what I used to watch all the time as a child, Annie. Um, oh, we yeah. had that on, on a laser disc player. And I've Jesus always, Christ, I mean, I know. Um, I've always, always, always loved Bernadette Peters. She is just one of my favorite performers of all time. And again, and here she is in this. Um, you know, and we can talk more about, like, the specific casting in this, but, like, it needs to be understood, like, at this time when this film came out, like, Brandy was America's sweetheart. Like, it's actually a massive deal that she was in this, because this was at the peak of her being absolutely everywhere. She was the Hillary Duff. She, like, and more so. I mean, like, she's kind of one of the first of the, like, television's, like, America's It Girl. Right. I actually... See, it's so funny, because truly, I had no relationship with this movie other than seeing screenshots of it. I am not that familiar with Brandy. Mostly, I know Brandy from the song about being a fine girl and sailors and stuff. I don't, Right, like, they wrote a song about her, yeah. 
Yeah, I assume, like, time travel <laughs> exists for, like, sort of 80s groove tracks, and they're like, right. oh, yeah, we gotta, all right, guys, let's oh, go back. Oh, that girl, Brandy? Yeah. I, like, I know we can stop a lot of horrible things if we stay a little longer, but no, no, we gotta But we gotta I just go got back. this tune in my head that I gotta get down, yeah. And if I don't get it down now, we're going to lose it. <laughs> um, yeah, and honestly, my, I guess, to quickly, my relationship, it's funny because my relationship with Cinderella is kind of what got me back into Disney. I think the first time I actively went and saw a Disney thing as, like, a young adult and adult was the 2015 Kenneth Branagh live-action remake, which I was just... Which is so funny, because as I'm watching this, I'm like, man, they get so much from this, like, the Rodgers and Hammerstein version. They create so much. The idea that she... Like, the fact that they acknowledge that she can leave at any time but wants to stay because it's her family home and she owes that to her dad. Like, the sort of idea that they meet before... Sort of the prince, like, wanting to go among the commoners. Like, Mm -hmm. so much of the DNA that defines the Kenneth Branagh one. On top of, like, the ballroom scene just being peak cinema. Like, I'm like, I don't think that version exists. Like, I don't think that version exists without Brandy. Right. It's not as possibly. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think I always took for granted how much that movie let alone, you know, figures like Whoopi Goldberg and Whitney, Whitney Houston. Right. Like the Whitney Houston. Um, but like I really took for granted how much it, it how important it is to have had, um, to to have had like the the lead princess role be played by a black girl with braids. Right. You know, I was literally up, about to say, we're talking about Cinderella as the quintessential fairy tale character, as kind of like quintessential right. Disney. The fucking the Disney princess castle of princesses. is yeah. Cinderella's castle. And mm-hmm. you put in the first time Disney does this in live action to like kick off, because like Disney wanted this because they wanted to restart Wonderful World of Disney. You're like restarting mm. this iconic Disney branding, and you're like, Cinderella's a black girl with braids. Right. Like, you know, they don't try and like, you know, they don't. Make, you know, they don't try to make her look like the cartoon character. It's like, no, she has braids. Right. She has dark hair. Right. This is this is her. And on, honestly, the late 90s is like kind of the only time period that, that this could have happened this way. Mm. Um, because for whatever reason, the 90s happened to be like the most diverse time in television for some reason. Mm. Um, it's baffling to me because it, I think it's we've like talked about this before. We have, but like the beginning of the two thousands, like nineteen ninety nine, like pivoting into the two thousands, everything became extremely whitewashed. Mm-hmm. Everything and right. everywhere was friends, and it and it was white, and right. like, but it, and it was just like someone like flipped a switch. And, like, all of the quote-unquote black shows were kind of, like, flushed down the drain. Right. There has been a lot of interesting discussion about this. And obviously I'm not the one to dive into it. But it really was, like, a, you know, you use diverse stuff to get foot, you know, to broaden your base. And then you once you get one thing successful that's quote-unquote mm. normal, you're just like, yep, right. doubling down on this. We're all done that with that. Go away. And then you add right. 9-11 and it's like... All right. So yeah, it all, all can the go. Stuff, that's different. Right. You know, and that's another reason I really wanted to talk about this film because it is February and I I do count this as kind of an important marker in like black history media. Right. I again, I couldn't agree more. Again, it's like you know, 
making the quintessential princess black and then having Whoopi Goldberg and Whitney Houston, two of like the biggest black faces on the planet in entertainment at this time, giving their thumbs up for the project. Right. Their seal of approval. Yes. That's huge. You know, let's like, honestly, this, this might just be the best time to actually talk about the cast because, you know, maybe it's because they created a world and we and boy i cannot wait to talk about design and with this mm. movie but like maybe because they created a world so fantastical or maybe just because it was the late 90s like you know the 90s mm. and they could this was much more accepted at face value weirdly like more so than it is today but like mm-hmm. you know what what really is anybody's excuse uh against like a thing like Hamilton <laughs> where right. it's just sort of cast arbitrarily like based off of talent or recognition um and it's totally like what's the word just like race blind of like <laughs> yes yeah um especially for fairy tales where it has a big ren fair energy of like there's fucking magic who cares like it doesn't truly can be anyone right exactly there's Don't overthink it zero consistency and I guess because this this cast is so talented, and I mentioned this to you, I was like, yo, the the chemistry that these people, like, this entire ensemble has so much chemistry. Right. That, like, there's nothing not to be accepted about the stepmother and, and Minerva and Calliope. Like, right. there's something sort of like your brain kind of just, like, accepts it. There's something so charming about Victor Garber and Whoopi Goldberg having this Filipino son. Right. And I think that's a, like the benefit of race blind casting is like you really can't just be like whoever has the most chemistry gets in and yeah. that will carry it. Like again, like I feel like we've lost the art of like movie and theater stardom of like yeah. if someone is charismatic enough and plays off of his peers so well, they will make anything believable. Mm-hmm. Like again, like, John Wayne was kind of a, like, he sounded silly and he was kind of a stiff actor. But because he, like, was so charismatic on screen, you just bought into every stupid little thing he was saying. And that's true right, about this exactly. entire cast. Right, exactly. Yes. Like, especially because, like, one of my favorite moments is a stepsister's lament, which just come completely yes. out of left field. And it is these two just truly, just, it, Hamming. just chewing the scenery. Ham right. boning. I think I described right. it as I this movie is like the perfect pitch of ham in terms of like yes on top of chemistry everyone understanding the tone that this needs of like right. slight, almost princess bridey campy it, a little goofy It is princess bridey. And you know what it's got sincere. It's got such good direction like it I I love when when directors know when to let little like moments of slight improvisation just like stay there you Mm. can tell like you know there are so many like wide shots of like like when they're all in the ballroom and you can tell that the direction is just like okay all of you may or may not be on camera please just be alive and doing your bit while we shoot this because it's like even in these big sweeping dancing numbers when there are when some of our leads are just sort of standing around and observing, like in the big ballroom scene, like you can see the stepmother and the sisters kind of like standing off to the side. They're still like very much involved and like in character and interacting with each other. And like, it's uh, even like 
you know, you talked about Whoopi Goldberg just, like, hamming it up. It's, like, right. she, I love all of her, like, little, like, sound effects that she... Right. <laughs> there's she just, just something decided, so... Yeah, she just decided the print, the queen is very, like, squeaky. squeaky. Yeah. yeah. It's just and prone it works. to, like, sound squeak noises. And you're just right. like, oh, this is really funny. And it just makes sense in this world where yeah. everything's very heightened and clownish. And you don't question why Jason Alexander sounds like a foppish, like... Italian? Yeah, what is this accent? I have no idea what his accent's supposed to be, but he's the only one who seems who hasn't like a different metrosexual accent. Mediterranean by way of the 1990s. Yeah, right. Who is constantly falling off ladders and like being yes. stepped on and he commits to this. Right. He gets the crap kicked out of him. Like I was actually really impressed him at stunt work and choreography he does in this. Yes. Um, Where he's like, running the, at full speed. Like it's just crazy. Right. The Prince is Giving a Ball is just truly a master is class in, like, the comedic singing. Um, yes. And, like, again, that's where the they don't make them like this anymore comes, where it's like you just have this huge soundstage with all of these buildings. You have all of these actors, these right. animals, like 10,000 mm-hmm. props. And it finds the perfect balance between, like, theater and, like, television and movie. Because the props mm-hmm. have a very theatery quality where it's, like, well, you you're can not supposed tell. to see these up close. So you can tell they're a little fake. Like, no. the cake that people keep going, Whoa. Yeah, that he's throwing Whoa. around. They're and dancing with loaves of, of bread. Sittings. Yes. Yeah. Like, just solid it's, loaves of bread. Right. I, okay, wait. Um, the Prince is Giving a Ball was always, like, my favorite number is it my favorite number? But like growing up, it was like one of my favorite moments because they say my name in the song. Really? And like that was always exciting. You don't, you didn't like go have to go back oh, and watch at the, of, at the very end. Names? Yeah, like one of on the on the list when he's like naming all these things, um, which is like the funniest bit. But like right. the very Again, that's last. That's a Princess Bride energy where they just get really hung up on one name in particular. To each right, name. exactly. But the very last one is Sydney. And that's, like oh, the funny. entire the entire ensemble repeats Sydney like so that was growing up that was always like my favorite moment. Right. It is also very interesting. Like again, I and like I'm not going to do in terms of like history lesson for this episode. I'm not doing too much. Um, but like Rodgers and Hammerstein. Well, one for people who don't know who Rodgers and Hammerstein are. Basically, they're like kind of the bedrock of Broadway musical theater. Exactly. Like if if Showboat was like the spark of creation, they're the guys who took the spark and turned it into like fireworks and like mm-hmm. lights and all the cool stuff. But like, yeah, this is them. I, I this is some of their like. I'm like, how is this not the best thing they've done in terms of just right. like the perfect balance between romance, like everything that's good about Broadway in terms of romance, in terms of show stopping ensembles, in terms of like yeah. high, high, high camp. Um, like just camp dripping out of the walls. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's well, funny is they take songs from their other repertoire and put them in here too. A couple of their songs in this are from different shows. Oh, like which ones? I didn't know that. Um, Sweetest Sounds is from something called No Strings, but that oh. was just Rogers. That I believe that was before he was really... Um, Oh, it was his first musical after the death of Hammerstein. So that's interesting. Oh, uh, interesting. Falling in Love With You is from the boys from Syracuse. And There Is Music In You, which is like the song at the end, is from Main oh, Street to Broadway. Oh, the wedding. Wait, Falling In Love With Love? Is that one? Y- yes. That I was love one, that one boys from Syracuse, um, which is like oh, okay. an adaptation of a Shakespeare play, but said in Syracuse. Because there was a time in our country's history where Syracuse was a, was a thriving metropolis. It was a grand old town. Yeah. Yes. Okay. 
Um, I didn't know that. Uh, falling in love with love is, is, I think, was was always... No. Okay, let's just talk about music for a second. Like, right. let's just chug right along here. Right. I when always we get super loved... nostalgic, it's just moments and colors. It's not, like, it's just, beat for beat. It truly, it's moments and colors. Like, to talk about the music, I think between falling in love with love and um, a lovely night when the three of them are dancing around like after the ball <laughs> Genuinely, Cinderella just gaslighting them being like I didn't go but if I right. did this is what I do yeah. <laughs> yeah I I it's so silly that it was I that you saw another girl with braids there looks, but like I, anyway but it, but who knows yeah I've just been cleaning but yeah. I don't know but, but if, if it I did happen know, I know this. everything that was there and now you're oh, gonna yeah. start feeling like you're crazy you get you're crazy mm, right, right. You, you guys are so about? crazy <laughs> Uh, Stop getting so crazy, crazy. Oh, I'm wearing a clearly plastic shoe? (laughs) Don't worry about it, Blacko. Yeah. I I will say that did tickle me. It's like, come on. Right. But I'm also like, all right, you actually need to put her foot in this. You don't want to injure her. Um, Right, yeah. But um, yes, that like entire sequence, again, I'm like, honestly, this is so, like, I'm almost like, I almost don't want to watch either the 2015 one or the original animated one without this, because I love how this one kind of, like, fills in a lot of the gaps for both of those. Oh, yeah. Like, I like that it gives the stepsisters, like, actually a nice amount of humanity. And inexplicably, the stepmother, too, because I like that in this one, the stepmother clearly is, like, I guess, like, underlines more. She knows, like, look, my daughter is, they're they're lovely, (laughs) but they're not, you know, life isn't going to be easy for them. I one of my favorite scenes is when she is going over like what they're going to do when they meet the prince with Minerva and Calliope which like like I always love these names like like they picked sort of perfectly sort of like European yes. kind of like and folksy kind of names and 90s Yes yeah at the same time um but like <laughs> And Minerva starts like reciting her poetry. Like I, I just love the scene of this. Right. This absolutely not working. <laughs> oh, God. And he's just like, mm? mm-hmm. and the laughter mm-hmm. is just. <laughs> yeah, but again, I like that. Like I don't know. Like I like the relationship at the end because I'm like I don't know. I like that they seem to appreciate Cinderella more at the end. Like not appreciate, but like this yeah. one little moment they have where it's like, okay, these two. These two are only mean to Cinderella because they've been told to be mean to Cinderella. They're not terrible. Right. They're not terrible. They're just awkward and not talented. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And their daughter and their mom is a pageant mom who has told them to, like, yes, psych out sadly. the popular girl. Right. Exactly. Um, um, what are your some of your favorite songs? Um, I am absolutely in love with the song 10 Minutes Ago. I'm like, again, I'm like... <sighs> There's something about a perfect melody and in like a romantic sequence a that is like the most magical thing you can have yeah. in anything where you're like, I am fluttering. This is so mm-hmm. awesome. And again, like I, one of my great, like essentially I feel like you can tell if an adaptation of Cinderella is good or not is, is the ballroom scene good? Is the ballroom scene romantic enough? Is the ballroom scene magical enough? Because the animated version where like the entire background turns just blue and you're mm-hmm. just these two characters, and the dress is sparkling. You and like even the dress transformation, like everything leading up to the ball to the dance, and you're just like, oh yes, this is this is how magic it. This magic is real, and it's made out of ink and paint. Or here, where it is like the song is so beautiful, and the camera is just so, so sweeping. 
Yes, and you just are so locked in because, again, all of it around you is real. It's like a tight set, right. yet it feels huge, and all these actors yeah. popping and weaving. And, like, I, I don't want to be mean toward those, like, Grease Live things, but I'm like, man, these things look they could like never. poop compared to this. Right. But, like, okay, the, the ballroom scene. First of all, can we appreciate that, like, the story pauses so that we can, like, have an extravagant dance number? And yes, like otherwise, that, why are we doing this? Right, because it's like, okay, you know, what more can you say about Cinderella and Prince Charming, like, actually... Oh, they give him a name. It's Christopher, right? His yes. Royal Highness Christopher Rupert. Yeah, we should know his full government name by right. now. Um, he gets but social like, security. <laughs> Fantasy social security. Right. Um, but, okay, they meet, they're, they're in love like that. Great like step aside as i said in the beginning of this like now is the real party like th- mm. like maybe maybe that's sort of the motif of this of like prince charming himself needed mm. this relief for the entire room to like right have fun Uncoil. yeah and i i this is the scene everyone got I what mean, they want now we can actually have a party exactly like this is my this is my number one favorite scene in the whole movie. And like, we can, this is, is going to lead me into a talk about design because like this color palette of like purples and blues and this peacock like yes. color palette that's used that's not just in the scene, but throughout it. the entire movie is like jewel tones and like, yeah, th- this peacock palette where everything has like sort of an iridescent sheen on it and kind right. of re- is reflective and it's bioluminescent. Every... Especially bioluminescent when the dancers start perfect. moving. Yes. And so we have this scene that is just like fabric moving. Like you're just absorbed into like all of this fabric being thrown around. Like they're doing choreography where they're like lifting these women up in the air and like spinning them around. Like it's just tool and fabric just being thrown right. around. And it is just so like breathtaking it's also like extremely athletic like you could tell that these dancers are like you see like the sweat coming off of them right and it almost feels like a way of like literalizing because cinderella like the animated one has so many sequences where the background will just disappear and it'll be color like famously when the dress gets ripped apart it just starts getting redder and redder or when they're dancing Mm -hmm. it turns like periwinkle and blue it feels Mm -hmm. like okay well how can we do that in a live camera television setup and it's like yeah just put them all in purple and blue and when it starts spinning around it'll feel like the room's disappearing exactly and like i also love that i mean i can't believe that this didn't i would be surprised if this didn't win an award for costume design because Mm -hmm. Like, each dancer, male and female, are wearing totally unique pieces. Like, oh, you yes. will not find a repeat, not even of the suits, uh, of of anyone wearing anything that looks identical to anything else. Right, right. Um, did This this was nominated for seven primetime Emmys, um, including uh, Outstanding Comedy Variety Special. Uh, art Direction doesn't look like it won any of that. Oh, it won one for Art Direction, which does fall under... Not co- it's not specifically costuming, but production design yeah. falls under that. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. And, yeah, it's... I just... It's so... It's so resting, and I'm like, well, now when I think of Cinderella, I'm going to think of, like... And, like, if you can say that about something that's been adapted so many times, then you've won. Um, And... Like I said, again, it's like 
you have to nail, like, you can screw up so much in a Cinderella adaptation. Like I said, with the live action one, I have a bunch of, like, I take umbrage with parts of it. But, like, when Mm -hmm. you get to her getting the dress and it is just the perfect shade of blue and they put a thousand fucking crystals in it. So it literally looks like it's sparkling with butterflies and shit. And, like, um, the prince, like, puts his hand on her back and she just gasps and you're just like... (gasps) (gasps) Honestly, like, what is it about the shade of, like, Cinderella blue that is so... I don't know what the word is, Dreams. but it's just it so feels beautiful. Like a dream. It is, it's a yeah. Dream. It it feels like a dream, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny that it's like it, it fluctuates between blue and white because, like, it, for the four K restoration of the animated one, it's clearly white. I also love that they had the whole politics of like we are restoring mm. this so people know she is a strawberry blonde. She is not platinum. <laughs> this is propaganda by modern Disney. Right, Her hair is not. <laughs> she is strawberry blonde. <laughs> But I started, I guess, talking about, like, bad versions of the ball scene. I feel obligated to bring up Bad Cinderella. One, the Camilla Cabello one, he proposes, and she runs out, throws the shoe at his head. That's our version of her losing the shoe. Like, her just yeeting it like a boomerang. Um, oh, my God. And her being like, I have my own dreams, and I can't settle down. Um, sure, girl. And, and in Bad Cinderella, it's like, that, that thing has so many fucking problems. But the biggest one right. is, like, the... The ball scene is supposed to be, like, the act two starter. It's supposed to be this huge moment, but, like, mm-hmm. it's so perfunctory and whatever, and, like, it doesn't feel like a buildup. Like, it just feels perfunctory right. that we're here. The fairy godmother stuff feels shoehorned in, and then, mm-hmm. like, mostly the prince is just, like, negging her because he doesn't recognize her, and he's like, oh, these bimbos. And you're just like, oh, <laughs> what's the point of any of this? If you didn't want to do the ball right. scene, why is this Cinderella in the first place? Why didn't you just pick a different fairy tale then? Right, right. And I guess that's oh, a difference gosh. between Cinderella versus all of the other princesses. The ballroom scene is the most quintessential thing a princess can right. do. And she and, has yes. none of the other go princesses go to the do. ball. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Tiana doesn't get a ball. Snow White doesn't get a ball. Like, Sleeping Beauty doesn't get a ball. They get dance scenes, Aurora but they don't was have born a ball. At the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they all get beautiful dance scenes, but most right. of them are in nature but, or somewhere else. Having, a, right. having, like, all of these people look at you and be so... At a party. As you overwhelmed descend by a staircase. Beauty. Yeah. Yeah. They're so overwhelmed by their beauty, they just know to get out of the way and let you two dance. That's like, right. that's fairy tale magic right that's there. That's the stuff, yeah. Um, you know, another scene I really wanted to talk about in terms of design is like the, the uh, I don't know what else to call it, but like the shoe trying on montage. Why is yes. that so fun? Like, it's just a fun bit of like, and what a good idea to show actual feet. <laughs> right. Like, feet are gross and silly and like, yeah it's just feet are just for natural physical comedy like you get kicked in the groin you get a bowling ball dropped on your foot they're just funny but it's like to get all of these whimsical socks right like socks are funny just yeah and then like get a bunch of people with like like way too big feet and like the tiniest feet you've ever seen just like to think of people just lining up just to try Right, you you put a casting call out for extras, and it's like you look like a homunculus. Get down! <laughs> right, do we have some stockings for you? You uh, in the nineteen twenties, you would be imprisoned and forced to entertain for peanuts. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, and the minor indignity of having Jason Alexander, who's currently in like the biggest show on the planet, just like touching mm-hmm. people's feet. Um, yeah, that. You know the little design choice that I was so tickled by as I realized what was happening? Like, I'm already swept up in this almost immediately because I'm just like, oh, look at the set. Look at the detail. Look at all this motion and choreography yeah. and, like, life in the scene. And then I realized, 
oh, we're at ground level because they're showing us all their feet. Right. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know if I feel genius for noticing that or if I'm a complete jackass for not noticing that earlier. (laughs) I mean, you're probably a genius. Yeah. Like, I don't think I put that together. Look, I'm a hot cake expert. I got, you know, I sling out hot takes like hot cakes. People need hot takes. They come to you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the kingpin of hot takes. Can Um, we, can we talk about like the house that they live in though? Um, and sort of like the cool design choices of how it's sort of practically like laid out as -hmm. if it almost looks like one actual structure, not just like individual room sets, but like an actual house. Yeah. I mean, I like it because it works again. So much of the design of this works because you can easily see how you could just like bisect everything and make it just like a stage. Like, you mm-hmm. can easily... It's, I'm, that's why I'm so shocked that it took literally, like, 20 years to get this on Broadway. Because I'm like, it's so obvious... Well, 20 years. We're talking, like, 60 if you count uh, the original adaptation... You know, their original version with Julie Andrews. But, like, from right. the Brandy version, 20 years. Because it's like, everything's so carefully thought out to be, like, theatrical in terms of, right. like, how it's laid out. Especially that house where it's like, there's no... Like, there's little nooks and crannies where, like, actors could go in to do, like, a change or grab a prop. But, like, mm. you see everything you need to see. Right, right. Um, and I... Do we want to talk about Whitney Houston a little bit? I'm surprised we haven't talked about uh, her yet. Yeah, and how she's low-key a producer on this. Right. They wanted her for Cinderella, and she's just like, I'm right. 30. <laughs> right. Adults. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we need a, a child or a teenager in this role. I just right. love her version right. being a cool aunt. Like, I actually think... Oh, truly. I yeah. I appreciate that, like, of all of the Cinderella adaptations, like, finally somebody's like, girl, your stepmom's a hater. I don't right. think anybody's ever said that to Cinderella before. Right. Like, she's just crapping on your, like, sort of attitude on the world. Yeah. She very plainly is like, uh, she's jealous of you. What do you want? <laughs> right. She, like, she's straight up, like, you should just, why don't you just run away from home? You know, you could. Yeah, get out of here. What are you doing? Right? And she's just, like, like, I'm trying to think of the word, but, like. Because she does, like, the follow the world and fiddly deed. Like, she she makes fun of. Yeah, she's being catty about it. Right. And then Brandy goes, like, oh, that's terrible. Uh, Right. People should dream. And Whitney's, like, yeah, but dreamers don't do anything. Oh, yes. That's the, that's the conflict. And, like, yeah. that's, like, I don't know. Like, that feels like such a more, like, you know, we talk about the problem with, like, a lot of modern Disney feeling like it has to answer for, um, like, sort of feminine, like, quote-unquote feminist takes on the material. By mm-hmm. being like, oh, we have to dress down the idea of wishing on a star. Right. Where this is, like, the better version of that where it's like, yeah, no, but you got to go, you have to go for it, you know? Like, your problem, Cinderella, is, like, even if you I gave you the dress, you might be too scared to go. And you might right. be too scared... To, like, you know, she tried to run away at the end and then goes, no, you know what? I am putting on that shoe and proving that I'm the princess. Right, exactly. Which I like that as, oh, and that's, like, getting all the way back to the Barbie stuff of, like, I feel like Cinderella is also interesting because I feel like in terms of sort of, like, you know how we talked about that scene from Barbie where uh, America's kid is, like, dunking on Barbie and it's, like, such, like, YouTube level, so you want to learn feminism. <laughs> so many takes on Cinderella very much feel that way in terms mm. of like, like just the talk about like, oh, she waits around for someone to give her what she wants. She waits around for her prince. And it's like, 
at what point in this movie and any of these movies is this girl not grinding for what she wants? Is she like True. not like? I think a reason why I like stand for Cinderella is because I just feel like she gets horribly misinterpreted. Like, again, I understand yeah. why Walt is so into this character because in his mind, he was like a guy who was just working his ass off in like the animation scene in like the early mm. entertainment scene who by like, you know, the grace of one bounce or one chance call got to play in the big leagues, got to be, mm-hmm. you know, the prince of animation. And like, yeah, I like, I think that's the part of Cinderella that we don't underappreciate. It's like, I don't, I don't know. And it's a part of it's because they also talk about it with Tiana where it's like, yeah, it's work and magic. Like you can work as hard as you want, but it does take that little spark, that chance moment, that fleeting bit of romance to get you there. But Mm -hmm. if you're kind and work hard, that'll like, that's the only way you're going to even get a shot. Right. Exactly. Um, And I think that's like, in terms of the animated one, I think I appreciate that so much more of like, you have to have all the stuff with the mice to underline like, yeah, Cinderella, like, the magic's, like, it's not just the magic of the fairy godmother, it's the fact that she's kind to the littlest creature, and they do mm-hmm. such a good job of, like, underlining the size difference. Like, all the stuff with the mice right. and, like, playing in the space. is kind of scary. Right. Especially because, like, Lucifer looks giant to them, but Lucifer's so mm-hmm. tiny to all of this. Like, Lucifer right, falls out exactly. the window, and you're like, oh, that cat's dead. Oh, that, right. oh they're dead. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Like, you know, because, you know, they're the ones who save the day, because it's like, yeah, if you're kind to everyone, even the littlest, most, like, loathed creature you will get rewarded mm-hmm. for it in some way shape or form right exactly um speaking of the fairy godmother just talking about the animated version a little bit um mm. i love how merlin she is i think as yes. like i've talked about that i'm going through all of these chronologically and i will say it was a chore well not a chore because it's still all wonderful animation but i realized i was only like three away from cinderella chronologically so i just gutted through it and like <laughs> So basically the short history thing I'll give for this episode is like, so basically Disney had to give up on feature animation because like dumb, like Bambi, Dumbo, Fantasia all kind of underperformed because like there was no international market because all of Europe and Asia was at war. Um, hmm. So pivoting off of that, they just started doing shorts like Saludos Amigos, Make Mine Music, Fun Fancy Free, Melody Time, Ichabod, Mr. Toad. And, like, they're mm-hmm. all fine and charming. But, like, going from some of the most immaculate animation in the history of the world to these weird, off-kilter, weirdly modernist, like, yeah. shorts, I'm just like, oh, another one, another, <laughs> another one, one, and another one. And, like, it's uh, getting to Ichabod at the end, which at least has, like, fun flavoring because it's autonomous. Right. It feels like a reward for, like, hey, man, you gutted this out. Like, you did hey, it. it sucked for us, too. We wanted to make features, too. Right. And, like, Walt Disney was in $3 million in debt from this era because of how, like, unprofitable animation was. And this was the Jeez. home run pass of, like, let's get back to our roots. Let's right. do, like, Cinderella was one of the things he'd been working on since, like, the 20s when he was, like, mm. still doing shorts. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just paid off like gangbusters. And that, like, right. is another thing that's just indicative of sort of the Cinderella story. Right, yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, going through all of these, you just appreciate the one thing that keeps being consistent, even in the most, like, latest Disney things, even in the earliest Disney things, is I love that they always depict magic as, like, kind of modernist, kind of out of time. It's like, technology. Right. The magical characters always kind of have, like, a postmodern vibe to them. Like, yeah. even mm-hmm. the fairy godmother, who's old as dirt, um, they have some, they have her in some new show at the Disney parks, and she's clearly, like, a young adult, and everyone's like, yo, why is she 19, though? Um, <laughs> it doesn't want to be used like, in 
mention something about 600 years. Yes. But yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Whitney Houston's a good example of that, of being, like, kind of postmodern, like, making Mm -hmm. not necessarily modern illusions, but behaving modern. Even, like, this version of the fairy godmother, who's old as dirt, as I've said, like, is making all of these, like, silly jokes and is, like, doing bits. Like, magic is always depicted as, like, kind of cantankerous and, like, silly and off-kilter. And a little bit, like, out of control, where it's like, oh, where did I put that wand again? Or, like, she just keeps talking over Cinderella. Something about that just gives all of these movies so much personality. Like, even the quote-unquote classics... The magic person has ADHD. That's what it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I guess that's something that just tickles me, because I like the idea of magic kind of just being, like, utter chaos all the time. Right. Yeah, exactly. Wait, okay, to to sort of, like, pivot from the Whitney Houston stuff, um, should we mention, like, the little bits of CGI in this? (laughs) Um, yes, that, well, I will say, the first shot of this being Whitney Houston being blue screened into reality, uh, I was just like, what Isn't the hell did I sign up for? Yeah. I was like, Sydney, Sydney, <laughs> please, <laughs> what have you done? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a choice for her to introduce her as, like, a narrator in this entire thing. But it right. makes sense because they, they bookend it well with the wedding scene, right. like, of her singing them into heaven or whatever she does. Well, I don't know. Right. Plus it's like, I don't know. It's a credibility. God, were they imitating Greece with that? Yeah. I, right. I, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, God, if it's Greece that powerful to the American people, <laughs> um, you know, our president doesn't have any credibility. This is around the Clinton scandals. So right, we need right, exactly. the power credibility of Greece. Um, right. Yeah. I, I feel like it's another, like, it's like we talked about Whoopi and Whitney giving this adaptation credibility. Cause it's like, we're two mm. stars. Everyone likes us. If we give our right. seal of approval, like if I there come in like, and start singing right away, people buy in. Right. But even with like, with Bernadette Peters and, and Victor Garber, like we have like distinguished actors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like something about this, like casting is very mature. Right. Yeah. It's. And, like, the little bits of CGI with, like, the little effect she has on her at all times. Just, like, oh, this spark- it's, That reminds me of the Barbie movie. Of, like, right. these sort of sparkly, like, animated squiggles. bits that are just, like, around. Yeah, hers are, like... Some of them are, are like just twirlies. Squigglies. Yeah. And they're all orange for some reason. Yeah, everything's, like, golden. Everything that comes off of her is, like, gold. But then I even, like, I actually really love the scene of her flying, uh, like, beside the carriage as it's, like... Yes. What, something about that is super enchanting. Right. Because objectively, I am like, this is very poorly composed. Like, I can be, you know, uh, the <laughs> yes, cynical modern adult in me is like, oof, this is rough. But at the same mm-hmm. time, it's like that perfect 90s thing of like, this is so charming because, you know, this was the only way they could do it. And right. like, this is like on the cutting edge of what you could do with television animation or like effects mm-hmm. at the time. Um, yeah, no, just little bits like that. I think that's what elevates this to me becoming time simultaneously because it feels timeless in a lot of ways. It feels yeah. like something that like I understand the staying power now after watching this, but that stuff right. also gives it a pleasant dating for me because like mm-hmm. that's the that's is that not the middle ground you want of like you simultaneously want to be timeless but of an era so you can speak mm-hmm. to the era you were in but then speak to other eras. Right. Exactly. If that yeah. made any sense. No, I think I understand what you mean. <laughs> right. Um, what else? I feel like the casting is just a good way to, like, spin off into different topics. But The Prince. So. The Prince, yeah. 
I think in terms of adaptation, that's obviously the big one compared to, and I know this isn't obviously not a direct adaptation of the animated Cinderella, but it's so obvious right. that like Disney wanted this because it's Cinderella and everyone knows Disney's mm-hmm. Cinderella. Right. Have you right. seen her castle? It's in a park. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting because it's like, people talk about the prince not really having much of an identity in the animated one compared to like this or different adaptations. But I would argue it's the idea of a prince versus the prince being a character. Because like he doesn't need to be a character in the animated one because Cinderella is the main character. She is the focal point. Right, it's her story. This is about her dreams coming true. And a part Mm -hmm. of that is marrying a prince. It doesn't matter who the prince is necessarily. Yes, exactly. I love that everything this month is going to be framed through Barbie. Right, exactly. But why not? <laughs> right. Whereas this prince, ha- you know, is a character because it's like an ensemble more. It's about everyone. It's about this kingdom. And Cinderella's just right. like our audience. Like Yes, Cinderella and, and Prince Charming are in, in this adaptation are like on equal playing field. It's, it's a story about both of them mm-hmm. having their own like wants and interests and like incentives here. Right, again, it's, like, again, I'm so surprised how much of the DNA of this carries into, like, the 2015 one. Because, again, it's, like, all right, well, if we're going to make the prince a character, how do we do that? And it's, like, well, what if it's a story about kind of being trapped from different social stratas? Because it's, like, imagine being born and immediately told you are, like, God's chosen child. Being told you're, like, the golden child. Like, you know, this is, like, you know, absolute monarchy era. So you literally think God has, like, anointed you his you know, descendant mm. on earth to create laws and basically right. being like, Oh, I have no autonomy in my life. I am, I guess. And we haven't, it's funny cause we haven't really talked about Cinderella as a character as much. We haven't talked about Brandy or the original mm, adaptation. No. I guess like for me, this, I mean, one, I, again, I'm not familiar with Brandy's work. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to go back and watch her work and in terms of the animated one. Again, I just like going through all these movies again, I just really appreciate how much personality the princesses do have it's mm-hmm. so insane to me that people talk about them like they don't have personality. Because I'm like, I like that she's kind of like sassy bat. Like, she's not taking this line down. She's complaining oh. the whole time. She's mad at I that cat. Like, yeah, Cinderella is like a very sassy princess. Like, she's got a tude the whole time. Right. It is like, and I love, like, for for Snow White and Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty, I love you read, like, the behind-the-scenes discussion about all of them. And it's always like... We're making a princess for the modern era, the 1930s, a uh, modern era, the 1950s. Right. Uh, and, like, I'm like, yeah, this does work in the context of, like, 50s Hollywood of, like, you know, she's got a little mean streak to her, but she's still dink mm-hmm. feminine and, like, dainty and, like, womanly. Right. And, I'll say that, like, I do think this is more of, like, an understated performance for Brandy. Um, right. She had a sitcom called Moesha. Um, I don't know what to compare it to. It's, it's, it was a, it's like, I don't know what show to compare it to, but like maybe like a Sabrina the Teenage Witch of just like, oh, here's this like girl, teenage girl mm-hmm. living her teenage life. And like, oh, Did my dad won't give me the keys to the car. Like things like that. Oh, my little brother's so annoying. And Shirley oh. Ralph is in the show too. And um, <laughs> it was it was a, a smash hit. Oh my god! Like it was again. That's that show kind of catapulted her into stardom. She also had a music career, um, but like, but all of her roles have always been kind of like sassy girl roles. Mm-hmm. Like you know, like of like ni- I'm a '90s teen. So like this is like 
you know, I, I guess maybe not understated, but just like sort of a mature right. role for her. Right. Because like, that was my interest. Like I was going to say, cause it's interesting. Cause she doesn't play it like a big Broadway number. She plays it like soft spoke. She's very soft spoken. Every right, now and then exactly. she'll have a quip, but it'll be more of like a defensive quip than like a right. jabbing exactly. quip. Right. It is, yeah. I just, I mean, look, I know we say this a lot, but in terms of like one getting to do a Carter's never seen and discovering something new and getting to do like one of the classic Disney films they can come and have a new appreciation to. This was kind of like in a, kind of one of my a perfect opportunity because it really does I don't know, it just made me appreciate so much more about like why it made me finally grapple with why Cinderella matters so much. Why yeah. like mm-hmm. I think her story's like, you know, why her story is the fairy tale and also right. just like how cool it is that Disney has like literally at this point what like over 60 years with this character in different ways, shapes and forms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm really glad yeah. that it inadvertently, I, you know, I'm glad I found out that this was something you really liked for your birthday. Cause it gave us a really cool opportunity. Yeah, You know, I'll say for, for years, I kind of like more or less forgot about this movie until it, it went on to Disney plus. What was that? Two years ago now? I think so. I remember when they announced that it was coming to Disney plus and they, I didn't get a chance to watch it, but there is like a reunion special on on Disney Plus that really? they did with the cast. Yeah, uh, I have yet to watch it, but you know, I I I'm not not really sure how much many of you know our audience members here have have seen it, but it is absolutely worth the watch. It is a fun, hilarious, dazzling, like absolutely breathtaking movie. Right. And I guess I give Disney some credit because it's like, especially once you make your own live action adaptation, it could be very easy to bury this or not even Mm -hmm. like bury it, but just kind of ignore it. Like, you know, there's billions of things Disney made that they're just kind of like, eh, we'll put that on. eh, Maybe we'll put it somewhere. Maybe we'll make it available. Maybe we'll acknowledge it. Like there's plenty of realities where they just kind of let Hocus Pocus sit on a shelf and we don't get a second one. We don't get all this anniversary stuff. And it's cult status is completely just to the fans and not like, engendered by the company itself and like the fact that this chose this i do think matters one again because we talked about it's like you know it's like the first black barbie doll in terms of like Mm. taking an icon and being like yeah she can look like this too but also like i don't know because it, it it's a virgin especially because they are at basically making these two canon like brandy mm-hmm. brandy and paolo are coming back to be cinderella and the prince in uh, the descendants universe uh, in the oh, fourth right. one. Oh, right. I forgot right. about that. And I'm just like, you can't make us buy in on the fourth one. This is what you do for right. the second Come on one now. when there's only like two things I need to watch. Right, but, exactly. Yeah, and like I'm glad they're doing that because again, everything that's good about Cinderella is in here. It is like, like I think in terms of the lineage of Disney with this, you know, character who's been a part of their history basically for forever. Like, right. It is the quintessential Disney magic and romance and song all brought into one. Absolutely. And as the clock strikes midnight and we're forced to leave behind our footwear, I'm Carter. And I'm Sydney. Have a magical day. Thanks for listening. The Disney Desk is brought to you by Carter and Sydney. Follow us on Twitter at Disney Desk for the latest updates about the show. Want more of the most magical podcast on earth? 
The Disney Desk is now on Patreon. For exclusive weekly bonus content from us, go to patreon.com slash disneydesk and become a patron for as little as $3 a month. Thank you. Hitting record. Ready? Photosynthesis. Are you going to clap? Okay. I like that. I just got hung up on the telegram idea. I'm like, this is entertaining. Right. And that immediately stopped me in my tracks. I was like, excuse me, a telegram? (laughs) It's old timey. Right. Paul Tim self sent telegrams. Right, exactly.